0: I'll just I'll just do that part over. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, okay. thank you for joining me. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about paranormal hotspots. There have been a few that have been identified as long-term hubs of high strangeness. I think you guys are really going to enjoy tonight. We don't know why they become high concentrations of weirdness with UFOs, failure electronic equipment, ghosts, orbs, Bigfoot, men, women, and black, crop circles, and sometimes animal mutilations, places like the Mesa Verde in New Mexico, Skinwalker Ranch, or Stardust Ranch. Um, now there's a new hotspot being investigated, headed up by a guy named Trey Hudson, who is the current director for the Oxford Paranormal Society and Anomalous Studies and Observation Group. The place in the book is called Meadow, The Meadow investigating the south skinwalker ranch because it's so similar to skinwalker ranch and about the author james trey hudson as i said is the current director of the oxford paranormal society and anomalous studies and observation group he studied at the university of west georgia and majored in psychology and studied under the guidance of luminaries William Roll, Don Rice, Mike Ahrens, and Chris Steus. He completed his degree in psychology and was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the U.S. Army Reserve and branched as military intelligence. In 2008 and 2009, he served a tour in Afghanistan as an operations and anti-terrorism officer. Thank you for your service, and thank you for yep. coming on. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm great, and yourself?
0: good i have a question that the william roll that you studied under i i i i thought he was familiar. he wrote the book poltergeist do you think they made the movie poltergeist after off of the book he wrote
1: i know i think that that was just a convenient name it didn't match uh you know the poltergeist case that william you know dr roll investigated at all but uh you know it was right then that was kind of when Paranormal stuff really started coming into the American consciousness big time back in the late '70s and '80s. So I think they were just kind of springboarding off of that. And Poltergeist was kind of a, you know, kind of a cool name. So uh, no, it it doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of similarities with uh, Doctor Roll's case.
0: But he uh, he he studied uh, uh, psychokinesis, right? Thru-
1: yeah, he yeah he studied uh, pretty much all of that. He did uh, quite a few. He did a, a very well known investigation. Uh, in poltergeist he did a investigation of her call uh, at the Queen Mary and there was also a case back in the 80s where there was a house in the Metro Atlanta area that was bleeding like the walls would bleed and he uh, also investigated that but he uh, I was just lucky enough to be at the University of West Georgia studying psychology while he was uh, on faculty there and I was very uh, very blessed and honored to have studied under him
0: yeah I thought that was a really uh, uh Incredible so- source. I mean, I thought he was really exceptional, especially because you got to study probably something that you were really interested in, which was probably the parapsychology part. Am I yeah. correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was uh, unfortunately back then there wasn't a very uh, firm dividing line between parapsychology, i.e., it wasn't its own field of study, in in so much as it is now. So, but studying under especially places are people like you know, Doctor Roll and uh, Mike Ahrens, uh, who actually was recommended by Abraham Maslow to lead our psychology department, uh, we did start to touch on some of the parapsychological stuff like past life regressions. We studied a little bit about chi energy. And of course, Dr. Roll would talk about some of his experiences.
0: I'm wondering, you know, nowadays, like uh, how far they're going with like delving into consciousness, like, you know, intuition, other things people can do with their mind, PK. Um, it just it just makes me wonder how far have you ever um looked into that like the differences between today's parapsychology and the when you took it?
1: uh yes, you know, back then you had the uh, the wonderful facility at Duke and they did uh you know the sorat experiments, and I don't know if you're familiar with those uh, no. uh, very very uh very serious uh, I think parapsychology is starting to become a little bit more. I hate to say the word credible because it's always been credible, but it's becoming a little bit more mainstream. Uh, I also had a very, very cool experience and opportunity to study and learn coordinate remote viewing. And, oh, wow. Uh,
0: That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. And the gentleman that I, uh, I studied under was the, uh, the same instructor for a uh, Daz Smith, who's one of the top remote viewers in the United Kingdom. And part of my, uh, you know, part of my curriculum was I had was given a copy of most of the declassified CIA and Stanford Research Institute, the SRI documents on remote viewing. So that just really brought everything home. And you know, I'd always read about you know telekinesis, uh, precognition, et cetera, et cetera, and to actually study remote viewing, you know, in a very controlled uh, system. You know, coordinate remote viewing was developed uh, for military applications intelligence gathering so i was able to uh to use that methodology and just achieve some amazing results
0: i i was able to interview lynn buchanan i don't know if you've ever heard of him on my channel yeah. and oh, yeah. he talked to me about um you know inter about remote viewing places off planet that he remote viewed planets with other civilizations and he had to devise a plan that would be like so like when you contact a civilization you want to have a layout of what they're like so if you were to be able to greet yourself to them you don't want to come off um say me and you are from different countries and we speak different languages something that i do that could be a gesture of uh right. goodwill could be taken as a gesture of war so we had to actually develop and lay out these plans uh, i i can't remember what they were called but um so he, I guess they were able to actually remote view, you know, the characteristics of the people and from these planets. And I believe him because, you know, he, he's totally credible. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a really, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about?
1: I know I've never had a chance to uh, speak or meet with him.
0: No, I mean, but as far as remote viewing in ge- oh, general goes, oh, like, do you think yeah. it's credible? Cause you've done it.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. My, uh, one of our, uh, Remote viewing uh, final, final exams, if you will, uh, was we used all stage sixes of coordinate remote viewing, which I said is a very uh, structured, very methodical system of remote viewing. It's not the only system out there, but it's, you know, it's the one that we studied. And as part of my final exam is we had a, a large envelope that the instructor had. The envelope was sealed and had a series of eight numbers on it instructor just randomly picked this envelope sealed envelope out of a box and he said i'm going to give you these eight numbers and you remote view it so he read off the numbers and we started working our way through the six stages of remote viewing you know stage one is uh what they call ideograms and you start working your way through it and at that particular time we were using um uh, plato like we were actually modeling our final stage of the uh, remote viewing and what i ended up modeling with my uh, uh, pretty blue Play-Doh is a a platform, and then a smaller platform sitting on that, and a smaller platform sitting on that. So what I had is a stepped pyramid, like you would see at Chitsunitsa, you know, something like that.
0: Oh, that is so cool.
1: And then I had uh, a few other small cubes I made that were placed kind of, you know, in various places around this stepped pyramid. And do you know what the photograph was when he pulled it out of the envelope?
0: The Great what Pyramid to Giza. Wow. It was the
1: uh, pyramid.
0: That's pretty cool. So, okay. Yeah, g-
1: so, you know.
0: Yeah, okay. Sorry. Yeah, g- yeah. that's that's pretty interesting. Oh, that. Go, go ahead.
1: Right. And, you know, you know, for me, you know, and I, I was the one that remote viewed this. You know, I, I know for a fact I knew nothing of what was in the envelope. And the only way that I could have uh, you know, found out what this was and, and actually modeled a pretty close representation of it, almost a, a, an exact copy, is by opening up you know, my subliminal consciousness and reaching out into the, I don't want to say universal consciousness. That makes it sound like it's something living, but the, uh, the quantum uh, state of all things that ever was, that are now and ever will be, that I'm actually able to pull data and information out of that realm.
0: So like in Akashic Records type place. Well no, I guess the Akashic yeah, Records would be
1: exactly
0: Yeah. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. I think we have a little bit of a delay. We do. Okay. I'll just uh, when I ask you the question, I'll just wait from now on. I don't mean to talk over you or anything. Um what I wanted to get into was uh i w I'm gonna ask you When we start to talk about the meadow, the South Skinwalker Ranch, what's the common denominator between you're studying and places like you're studying the meadow project and places like Skinwalker or Stardust Ranch?
1: Yeah, what I started seeing is when we started studying the meadow uh, and we really started in earnest in 2016. So we've been at it for a few years. And I started compiling a list of some of the anomalous phenomena that we've encountered. And we've encountered everything from, you know, orbs, uh, missing time, uh, strange uh, tracks that people wouldn't have been able to cover that are recorded on their GPS, uh, men in black, uh, disembodied voices, uh, UFOs. And I started looking at all of these things, you know, in, in total you know, looking at a compilation of all these strange happenings, and I just had this epiphany that this is very similar to the famous Skinwalker Ranch in United County in Utah, and I just started calling it the South Skinwalker Ranch because the same phenomena they have going on there in northeastern Utah is you know, very similar to the phenomena we have going on here
0: yeah it sounds like you have actually a little bit more going on i mean with um but uh let me ask you this was there any folklore involved with the meadow project like maybe native american or was there a native american history
1: yes absolutely that's what led me to it is i am primarily you know kind of based on my background a paranormal investigator you know kind of a ghost guy and i had heard uh, anecdotal stories and folklore of a haunted road, you know, in this area. And, you know, mentioning a haunted road is like waving a red flag in front of a bull for me. It's like, yep, oh, don't ever go there. It's haunted. Bad things happen. Well, guess where I'm going? I'm going right there. So I, uh, you know, I went there and we set up a base of operations. And uh, the place that we originally thought was where the odd stuff was going to happen actually wasn't that odd. It started happening adjacent to our base camp. And as we we expanded our research out from base camp a little bit, bit we found the meadow. And the more I started digging into it, this place is absolutely just rich with uh, folklore. It's rich with uh, reports like from MUFON and other organizations of UFOs strange orbs in the woods flashes of light uh excuse me a lot of strange happenings and stuff like that so yes the folklore of this area goes back you know many many years
0: um and i think it's important we establish credibility when what that you do when you describe your group and you do that um can you talk about who your group was comprised of and what professions they had and all that
1: Absolutely. Uh, You know, a little bit about my background. Uh, I was a former Army intelligence officer. I was injured pretty early in my career. I've worked for the U.S. government as a security specialist uh, in WMD security, uh, counterintelligence, intelligence, uh, protection of uh, classified material, physical security, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I've been doing, uh, I did that work for about uh, 31 years. So that's a little bit about my background. My team is made up of people with, with very uh, impressive backgrounds, uh, likewise. Uh, we come from special operations, U.S. military special operations. We have other military veterans that serve in other areas. We have quite a few paramedics on our team. We have an ER nurse, uh, engineer. We have a physicist. We have two graduates of the Georgia Institute of Technology. We have several people with master's degrees. Uh, you know, credible, solid feet on the ground people. To an individual, You're know, very credible, very uh, used to dealing with you know crisis situations, and very used to our recording data in meticulous detail.
0: Yeah, and then um, I know I asked you about the folklore. Was there a graveyard associated? To you? Was it on a on an Indian burial ground?
1: No, not that I know of. There is a uh pioneer cemetery close by but as far as exactly where the meadow is uh i don't know of any type of uh, first nation or native american burials in that area
0: okay um have you looked into other places where the folklore turns out to be true like do you like usually look for the folklore first
1: yes uh i have a, a standard saying follow the folklore you know, and I'll give you an example of of kind of what I'm talking about. I'm an old school army intelligence guy from the Cold War. And we didn't have a lot of technology when I studied this stuff. So when we would do what was called intelligence preparation of the battlefield or IPB, we would have like a large topographical map of an area. And we would take acetate overlays that we would lay over the map and we would mark troop movements and avenues of approach and things like that with a marker on these uh, large overlays. So imagine I have a a topographical map and a set of overlays. Overlay A, I'm going to mark UFO sightings. So I'm going to take a blue pencil or a blue marker. I'm going to make a dot where all these UFO sightings are on this map. Then I'm going to take that overlay off and put another overlay on. We'll call this overlay B. And I'm going to take a brown marker. I'm going to mark Bigfoot sightings. And I'm going to mark all of those. I'm going to take that off, put it to the side, and take overlay C and put it on. And then I'm going to do ghost sightings spirit sightings. I'm going to use a yellow marker. And now I'm going to lay overlays A, B, and C on top of one another. And what you'll see a lot of times is clusters where you'll have like cryptid, UFO and ghost uh, sightings and experiences all clustered together in geographical areas. Now where things really get funky is if you take some of the stuff that, that David Polites talks about, you know, some of the weird missing person stuff and take that overlay. And perhaps you start to see a correlation those are the epicenters that's really worth your time to investigate
0: yeah i i don't know what's going on with that the missing 411 i i i find that really interesting it makes me think that they're they're being plucked out of thin air do you ever think that could be possible sometimes or or disappearing into a different dimension
1: well yes absolutely we uh during our investigations of the meadow we have video of our team approaching what originally appeared as a cube or box on our FLIR devices, our thermal devices. And when we dispatched the team to where this thing had manifested, the team disappeared. They disappeared off of our uh, instruments. We could not see them with our FLIR equipment. Their heat signatures were completely gone. So it's almost like they stepped into an area where reality was just shifted to the right or the left just a little bit, enough to where wow. we couldn't see them. The cool thing is, we have it on video.
0: Do you really? Yeah. Where can people see that video?
1: Actually, I will be making the first public presentation of that video at the Laughlin UFO Conference in Nevada in June.
0: Wow. So that's definitely proof of parallel universes. Like, I talk about parallel realities and we talk about different dimensions and all that so much on this show. And, like, that really kind of that that kind of gives you an idea of what you're working with here you're working with multiple dimensions I think I think things that are coming from different dimensions I've always talked about how UFOs can come from different dimensions and I think all these other things like cryptids bigfoots um, you know even men in black we don't even know where they come from you know they're a little bit weird you know some people think they could work for a government intelligence agency some people think they're alien we don't know um right. what are your thoughts on that all, all that but i just the interdimensional thing
1: well you know just based on our experiences in the meadow uh is we've had individuals uh, experience missing time uh we had a individual that uh was moving across the meadow you know, during our investigations and we had a team and i'll tell you the makeup of this team uh Gentleman A is a uh, career paramedic, has a degree uh, in management from the Georgia Institute of Technology and has a master's degree in public administration. Uh, Gentleman B is a former US Army Ranger, comes from the special operations community, has a bachelor's degree from the Georgia Institute of Technology, uh, dual degree in philosophy and physics. So these two individuals were watching our uh, another team member Whose background is a retired law enforcement officer and spent many years in California doing a backcountry search and rescue. A very competent, uh, you know, reliable woodsman. They are watching him move across the meadow on their FLIR equipment, their thermal scope, and they see his thermal signature, man-shaped thermal signature, turn into an orb of energy, and then move at a, a pretty significant distance across the field, and then turn back into a man-shaped heat signature. The speed at which this orb moved, we calculated at about 25 miles an hour, the fastest human being on earth could not move across this train in 25 miles an hour, it would be impossible. So something shifted there, it was a shift either in the dimensions or the perception of the observers, or it was a shift in the uh, dimensions or perception of the subject. But something shifted uh, there in the meadow and that was just one experience.
0: Um, I, I, I wanted to, um, I, that's when I remember what I emailed you about because I had, um, and, and you could talk to I, his, he's a doctor. His name's Dr. Michael Lynch. He's, uh, he's really credible. Um, he, uh, he talks about, um, he's been a paranormal investigator for like a long time too. And what right. he's been getting on film is he calls it energy plasma, which is like orbs. And, you know, he's defining this energy, he's defining orbs as like human consciousness, or they could be like animal consciousness. So basically, what you're saying kind of verifies what he said, and what he said is kind of verifying what you're saying, because um, if we are energy, then your friend turning into that orb could have been him transforming into his energy state. For a second for some reason because of a dimensional change at the at the meadow or we we don't know why but i mean it, i mean that, that's what i think at least um do you, have you ever thought uh this is a question i had i thought this was interesting have you ever thought that it might be something underground that might be causing things to to be weird above ground like there are all kinds of theories like underneath skinwalker ranch i heard there's everything from I don't know. Have you heard that as well?
1: I have heard the stories about, you know, there being some sort of craft or metallic anomaly under Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, You know, I'm not saying that's outside the realm of possibility. I don't know. Uh, You know, that would require a lot of, uh, you know, seismic investigations and drilling and boring and all of that. Uh, this particular area that we're researching is pretty doggone remote, and if there was something underground, it would have had to have been there a very, very long time. So, you know, who knows? Now, we, uh, when we go out, we, we try to look for certain phenomenology that either A, is a precursor to the phenomena, uh, B, happens during the phenomena, or C happens after the phenomena. And we look at everything from uh, RF energy, radio frequencies. We look for, of course, electromagnetic fields, and we also look for radiation. We also look for variations in the Earth's magnetic field by watching uh, compasses, you know, standard magnetic compass. And some of the things that we have found is during some of these anomalous events is there are very tiny spikes of radiation. Uh, the background radiation for that area is about 0.05 microsieverts per hour. You know, just a standard background radiation. And when some of these events are happening, it will jump up uh, anywhere from like 0.12 microsieverts per hour to 0.33 microsieverts per hour. Now, that's not a dangerous amount of radiation. It's not like Fukushima, you know, type of radiation or Three Mile Island, you know, type of radiation. But the, uh, the amount that it, it spikes is significant from an empirical scale. So that's something that we're really starting to explore is, A, why are these radiation spikes, you know, happening? And B, what's causing them?
0: What would, if you were to speculate, what, what do you think could be causing them? Oh, a craft under the ground, maybe, right? Something like that?
1: It could be a craft under the ground. Uh, uh, another theory, and this is just a theory, and this is just a I guess you know, that I've pulled out of air, is if these portals, if you will, or thinning of dimensions where thoughts, energy, and perhaps beings can transverse from one dimension to another, uh, you know, are these uh, events natural? And if they're natural, is some other intelligence using energy to stabilize those bridges? so they can use them for their own purposes. Kind of like wind is a natural phenomena. We harness wind for our own purposes with windmills or sailing ships, et cetera. Yeah. So perhaps, are they, do they have some sort of device to stabilize these natural uh, phenomena of uh, portals or singularities between dimensions? And is radiation a byproduct of them using their technology to stabilize these, uh, these windows between realities?
0: And so they're using it it, for their, like, let's just say one race of aliens, say the Greys, for example, say they're using it, for example, to come back and forth between worlds so they can abduct people. But it's probably just one of the places they use. They probably have a bunch around the world, different portals. Is that what you're talking about? Kind of like, I'm not saying them in general. I'm just saying that that, that's, You mean, they'd be using it for uh, a purpose they're using the energy for a purpose to get through dimensions, right?
1: Right, right. You know, they're using it like we use uh, wind power. You know, it's just a natural phenomena, but we're harnessing it to use it for our own purposes. Now, our purposes uh, to an ant, you know, watch if an ant goes up to a windmill, it's not going to understand what a windmill is. Much like we're the ants looking at what they're doing, we not might not have the capability to really comprehend what their uh, their activities are or what their ultimate end is.
0: Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's I, I've I've speculated so many times about the different kinds of beings and and different kinds of aliens and what their agenda is. I mean, because I've had all different kinds of abductees on on my show and contactees, and I I know that they're out there. It's just uh we we don't know what their agenda is if they're working with the government if they made treaties i mean it there's you hear so much different stuff it's hard to know like what's like really uh what's really you know completely true and what's what's not but um can you talk me through um uh, like i said i listen to other podcasts when i to prepare you to prepare for this and can you take me through the events in 2015 and 2016. That led you to pinpoint the meadow as a paranormal hotspot.
1: Yeah, like I said, we uh, we were actually researching uh, this area because of its paranormal folklore, and along with that paranormal folklore, it had a uh, quite a bit of uh, Bigfoot sightings. You know, it's, it's a pretty active Bigfoot area. So we went and looked at that. Uh, with one of my research partners, Bob Wilson. You might have seen him on the, uh, the TV show, Bigfoot is Real. His nom de gar is uh, grumpy. Uh, so he was on Discovery America and the, uh, I think the Discovery Network. So anyway, Bob and I were decided to research this from a cryptid point of view. And while we were off looking, uh, research, other research partner and I were off looking for you know, cryptid stuff, he had an amazing UFO encounter at base camp, and he noticed at base camp uh, the moon had risen, you know, over base camp, and he thought to himself, "Wow, that's great! It's a cold winter evening. It's very rainy and miserable. The, the clouds are clearing, so you know maybe this will be a nice weekend." And while he's watching this full moon, you know, and just all of its you know glory hanging there in the sky, it moves from the Left to the right, or the right to the left, rather. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know about you know up in your neck of the woods, but the moon doesn't move sideways here. You know, yeah. in this area where the meadow is. So he's watching this, just you know, in, in total awe. You know, he just had this amazing UFO experience, and the uh, the orb stops, and a very small pinprick of black appears right in the middle, and that pinprick starts growing larger and larger. So you have a black circle slowly taking over the entire luminous orb like the iris of a camera until the thing he was left with was a white circle like the uh, necklace of diamonds effect during a uh, eclipse and then it completely winked out. So we thought to ourselves you know this is certainly worth the following up uh, you know investigating So that was in 2016 uh, G- January of 2016. so we returned in July of 2016. Uh, and found a field or a meadow very close to base camp. And we thought this would be a neat place to set up nighttime investigations. Uh, If there are cryptids here, you know it's a big open area, we can pick them up on our thermal scopes, our thermal uh, cameras. Uh, It's large enough that if anything moves through it, we can see tracks or things like that. So we decided to start looking at the meadow. And in July of 2016, uh, Bob, my good friend, experienced a missing time. He was moving to a location uh, that we were, he was getting set up for our investigations, and he mentioned coming to a a well-known landmark, and he didn't remember how he got there. And he got on his radio and said, hey, I got to, you know, the fallen tree or the big rock or whatever the landmark was, and said, I don't remember how I got here. But we were concerned. We thought maybe he had had a stroke or, you know, maybe a uh, epileptic event. So we were very concerned about him. So they did kind of a medical assessment. The paramedics did over the radio and determined that, you know, he was most likely okay. And, you know, just being a stubborn old coot, he decided he would continue on with his mission and uh, moved across the top of this ridge and dropped back down into the, uh, the west end of the meadow. And as he was approaching our other team, I mentioned that he uh, turned into an orb or a ball of heat. And was witnessed uh, moving at a inhuman speed across this terrain. Uh, that was pretty odd, you know. That's that's on up up there as far as you know high strangeness. But it gets even weirder. the uh, The next morning, as we were, uh, let me back up. That night, our base camp operator, and we established base camp with net radio, net control, and stuff like that. He noticed strange green lights up on top of the ridge. And he actually thought that they were our headlamps as we were returning to camp. So we have uh, missing time, turning into a a heat orb, and these strange uh, lights in the forest. The next day, uh, Bob was showing us his GPS uh, device, and he has a very good habit of always recording his track as he moves to the forest, so he can download it and it can tell you exactly where he's been. That morning, the track he showed us had several lines of two to three kilometers that were straight. You can't move in a straight line over this terrain on foot, nor can you by vehicle. The only way that he could have moved in a straight line over several kilometers is if he was up in the air. Wow. So what what happened during that missing time? We had several witnesses, myself included, that witnessed this strange uh, anomalous track on his GPS, like happens so often in these places, when he went to download it, when he got home, the tracks were gone. the The record of his uh, travels was completely erased.
0: Wow, that that that's that's amazing. And then it kept going from there. Uh, you had oh, more things happen.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. We went back. Uh, of course, you know this. This was like a you know worm on a hook and we, we bit it and the hook was set. You know, we were absolutely you know enamored with this area. So we returned back in uh, February of 2017 and we decided to change our protocols a little bit. We weren't going to send anybody out by themselves unless they experience missing time and get turned into an orb of light. So we always had two people, you know, at a minimum per team. And we decided we were going to have a team move across a, a top of a ridge, which was to the south of the meadow. And uh, at this time, we were calling it The Meadow. And we were going to set up three teams in the meadow with uh, thermal uh, thermal devices that could record any kind of uh, heat anomalies out there. And this is in February. So it's very cold, no vegetation, kind of, uh, kind of barren. Uh, and we had the place all to ourselves. Uh, while we were doing that, while we were moving across the top of the ridge, uh, I t- our team member picked up three man-size figures on his FLIR, you know, white hot figures down in the meadow. And these figures were not in an area with any known team. Like I said, we all have radio communications with each other. We kind of run it like a military operation. We know where everybody's at. Nobody moves without permission. And it was not our team members. And we have video, I just discovered this video this weekend, I'd forgot that I had it, of this heat signature actually splitting into two heat signatures. So it's like one one entity splitting into two. And if you look on the cover of the book, that's kind of what's represented by the two, you know, luminescent figures on the cover of the book. Wow. So uh, that certainly kind of had our interest peaked. You know, we're like, wow, you know, we so something's going on here. We have these strange entities moving around the meadow. We were able to capture them on film. What else could happen? So as we dropped down into the west end of the meadow, and we started moving east, the uh, team that was in the middle of the meadow called us and said, hey, you need to come over here. We had these strange boxes or cubes forming. And so we quickly made our way over to that team, and they said what was happening is they saw what appeared to be a box, and you know, three sides, about ten meters by six meters by six meters, so a very large structure. And then it dissipated. And uh, we decided we were going to vector one of our teams to where this box or cube or portal or whatever it was, you know, had been. So we vectored a team over there, and we're watching them through FLIR, and we're recording this. And as our team gets to where the cube was, they disappear completely off of the FLIR. Now, if you've ever watched a, a you know, video footage from a military operation or a police show or something where they're using thermals, you can't hide from them, especially in the winter time. Yeah. So we have it on video of this team disappearing. We were also able to go back last year and, and do a recreation during the day, during the same time of year. And on that video, it's very plain and very obvious that there is not enough vegetation you know alive to mask a team you know from this sophisticated equipment and when the team approached it and went into it they described it like this they said that when they went in there they moved straight into the area they didn't encounter any encumbrances they didn't hit any briars any brambles anything like that they just went straight to the area and that it was extremely black very dark and dense uh, had a little bit of a, a kind of a strange feeling. And when they came back out, the same way they went in on the way out, they started encountering branches and vines and briars and brambles and all of that that weren't there when they went in. So it's almost like the reality of that spot was just a little bit different when they went in and a return to this natural state when they came out. And once wow. again, we have all we have all this on film which is really that's
0: amazing that this is mind-blowing this is this is amazing um wasn't there a point where you uh or one of your teams saw some kind of humanoid figure too
1: uh yeah that was actually uh, i missed that that was in july of 2016 when uh, we had the strange gps tracks and all of that about two o'clock uh during the morning sunday morning uh one of our team members you know, as a guy got up to go take care of some nighttime business, like guys have to do sometimes. So he got out of his tent and wandered away from camp, and he's taking care of whatever he's taking care of. And he notices a uh, a white humanoid type figure, kind of peering around a tree, watching our camp. So uh, the folklore has a white Sasquatch type figure in this area. So this matches up perfectly with folklore. This guy's background is he is a multi-year paramedic, uh, has been uh, spent several years as a flight medic flying all over the world, medevacking people out of some of the really nasty hot spots, you know, on the planet. So he's a very solid, credible, used to dealing with, you know, high stress kind of individual. So he saw this creature or this entity watching us. So he went to go get another team member who had a very high-end FLIR camera, wake her up, and by the time she could gather her wits and get her equipment, the creature was gone. Now, the next morning, you know, he told us about this, and many members of our team have been trained in uh, man tracking, tracking human beings through the forest. And so we went and we looked at the area where this thing was, and we were looking for disturbed earth, crushed vegetation, any uh, disturbance of the bark of the tree, and we could find nothing
0: so maybe something that came came out of a d- d- dimension or d- who knows right i mean right. Um, yeah. i'm trying to think is there anything else you might have of uh, your adventures there that you might have forgot oh i'd like to hear you to tell the story of the woman that came up to you i thought that was the craziest and i think that's the uh, the 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 icing on the cake that something definitely i mean not that this all hasn't been completely mind-blowing because it has but I think the, the the story of the woman coming up to you. Of course, I heard this because I did research on for for doing this podcast. So I listened to you on another podcast. But I'd like for my, for my audience to hear it because I think it's such a weird story.
1: Oh, it's 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 absolutely crazy. So you know, we had dispatched the team to where the portal or box was, and they came back, and we were discussing among ourselves. You know, do we need to continue to investigate? You know, or do we need to go back and do an after action review or a debrief you know, while it's all fresh in our minds? And we were discussing this amongst ourselves. And I made the decision you know, as a team leader that we were going to go back. We were going to do a video debrief while this is all fresh on our minds. And uh, as I get ready to go back, my uh, uh, base camp operator and net control, radio net control officer, uh, Glenn, comes on the radio and says, hey, there's, there's somebody here that wants to talk to you. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I'll go and I'll talk to you when I get back. And he's like, no, it's not me; it's somebody else. There's somebody else here. So I'm like, well, okay, you know, we've got a lot going on, but I'll, you know, I'll deal is with it. And this the
0: middle camp. of the night.
1: Yeah, it was about 10:30 at night.
0: Oh my god!
1: In the winter time, in the oh. middle of the forest.
0: What? Wow! And go, go ahead; you can finish. Sorry.
1: <laughs> That's fine. And so we get back to our camp. And there's this woman there, this businesswoman. And like I said, this is the wintertime. This is in February. It's very cold, uh, very dark, very remote, you know, about 1030 at night. And she's wearing loafers, slacks, a blouse and a blazer. So this businesswoman just shows up out of nowhere. You know, she drives up in her little car and just starts really harassing us. And she wants us to drop what we're doing and follow her to a very, very remote area in this nature preserve and go down this deserted road to this structure or house or barn where she says there's a family of these creatures called monkey bears that live. And we need to stop what we're doing and follow her right away. And of course, any rational, sane person is not going to follow a mysterious businesswoman down a deserted road in the middle of the night. Yeah, really. So needless to say, we didn't do that. So she just continues, you know, uh, kind of injecting herself into our operation to where we, you know, we weren't able to do our debrief. And that was, you know, we felt like that was very important that we record our experiences. And uh, for anybody that's interested, I have a transcript of that debrief is in the book, you know, verbatim. So we did get to do that, but she was trying to, you know, continuously did, uh, deflect us or reroute us or, or or put herself in the way of us doing this and so she's you know she's talking and delaying and all of that and she starts talking about uh universities and she says well where did you go to university and i said well the university of west georgia and she goes well oh, i did too and she said well what did you study and i said well my degree is in psychology and she goes oh mine too and i'm thinking okay she's you know she's just telling me why she thinks i want to hear and i said that's interesting who were some of your professors and she actually started naming some of the professors that i personally knew so we have a businesswoman in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere dressed in her blazer and slacks and loafers that went to the same university has the same degree as i do and knows the same professors
0: that's weird that's so weird <laughs>
1: So I was starting to get a little weirded out by this. You know, this is, you know, this is really odd. And as we're discussing this, uh, you know, she is, you know, like I said, trying to interject herself into our operation. She excuses herself and she walks away from our uh, base camp, probably about 30 yards. And she's right on the edge of our lantern light, you know, there at base camp. And she stops and she squats down and urinates in front of us.
0: Oh my god. <laughs>
1: so, you know, this this woman was acting almost like she was intoxicated or high or something. And we were finally able to get her to leave, you know, just leave us alone and it weirded me out so much that my friend that I mentioned that was a former US Army Ranger, you know, served uh with the Ranger Regiment. I said, "Tim, do you have your sidearm with you?" You know, your your pistol. And he said, "Yes, I do." why? I said, well, I've got mine too. I said, I don't like this. This really, you know, I have a bad feeling about this. You and I are g- going to go out about 50 yards outside of camp and we're just going to do a big circle. We're going to do a patrol real quick to make sure she didn't leave anybody behind because this is just so unnerving. I didn't know what it was all about.
0: Well, do you think, let me ask you this, and this is just me being a conspiracy theorist. Do you think the government or somebody might've had a bigger interest in that area and they might've saw that you guys were doing research there and they didn't like it. So they looked up into you and found out things about you and told that lady to go there. Or did she have any credibility or what, what what ended up? Well,
1: let me, uh, based on my professional experience, if I was going to dissuade somebody from doing that, that's not how I would approach it. You know, if I was a government guy. Yeah. uh, uh, What, what struck me as odd is let me back up. I went and the woman gave us her name and I did do some research and there was, there is a woman with that name that looks like the person that was at our camp. This person, and I'm not going to say what it is, but she is in a profession that requires state licensure. So I have two options. Option number one is I encountered a professional uh, licensed woman in the middle of the forest, in her business attire, in the winter at night, having the very worst moment of her entire life, or B, it was somebody mimicking or something mimicking an actual person. Either way, the real person, the real woman would deny it. You know, No, that wasn't me having the worst night of my life where I could lose my license, or I don't know what you're talking about. So either way, it's a negative either way. That, that's... So I started doing-
0: what's weird is what kind of entity do you think would do that that's weird because you can start to think about that and that that can get really interesting that like uh like because that that has comparisons to skinwalker ranch almost like when they say the skinwalkers like play tricks on Ah. people or, or they they do stuff i know i'm not really familiar with that lore you might know a little bit more than me but you know uh they have like um uh what do they call those things that um Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue now. Uh,
1: Doppelgangers?
0: Yes, yes, yes. They come and talk to people and stuff like that. Um, what, what are your thoughts on right. that?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, those are the two options. Either it was a professional woman, woman having the very worst night of her life and urinating in front of a bunch of total strangers, or it was something, something mimicking her. I started doing some research into the men in black and you know i went all the way back to some of the you know the wonderful writings of john keel you know like the mothman i love john keel you know, yeah yeah you know, mysterious earth and some of you know his earlier stuff all the way up to like nick redfern and some of the things that started coming out about men or women in black is a they're not properly dressed their dress is off their attire is off they're dressed for the wrong occasion They don't understand that people have different attire that they wear to different activities. So their dress is off like a businesswoman in the middle of the forest with her loafers and blazer. Wow. Their mannerisms are extremely convoluted. It's almost like they don't understand how people communicate. They seem spaced out or their syntax is very odd. Their, their, their language structure is odd. It's almost like they seem like they're intoxicated or just out of it. Another thing is they don't understand how human beings interact with one, one another. They don't pick up on social cueing like we were cueing this woman through our actions and our words that you know we just wanted her to go. And B, they don't understand what various niceties are in a civilized society. For example, you don't just go and squat down and urinate in front of people you don't know very well.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's it's. it's I mean, let me ask you this: when you look deeper into the subject of the Men in Black, I mean i never watched the movie with will smith i I, I, so i don't know if they ever gave anything away in that and i've never done more much research on the subject myself i've honestly out of all the podcasts i've done i've 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 done one on the mothman prophecies um uh, a guy who studies the mothman he's a really nice guy named Bill Casolis, but um he was reading a lot into john keel and we talked about the men in black but what are they supposed to be are they an android are they uh, a, someone from a different planet? Are they human? Or, or, or what are your thoughts on what they might be?
1: You know, nobody really knows. Uh, there's a lot of uh, writings and discussion about Indrid Cold. Who oh was
0: Indrid. yeah, we yeah I went over that. I remember talking about Indrid Cold. Yeah, yeah. If you get into that,
1: yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, Indrid Cold was he an a uh, you know, John Keel uses the term "ultra terrestrial," and I, I I use another term, which I think fits a little bit better, a "paradimensional," something outside of our dimension. And you know, are the men in black, you know, a manifestation <laughs> of something from another uh, dimension? Is it, you know, a uh, a tulpa? You know the Z entities present themselves, and we project what we want them to look like on this this entity or this. Uh,
0: that's the word I was trying to get it on the top of my tongue. The tulpa. Yeah, a tulpa. That, 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 I, I couldn't. Get, but anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's fine. So you know that was one of the things that John Keel kind of touched on, and also Brad Steiger, you know, touched on, is as these phenomena manifest themselves, you know, to us. That we project, you know, what we want them to be or what we think they should be, you know, a ufologist would see a gray or a UFO, you know, a cryptid researcher would see a Sasquatch, Uh, a, a paranormal researcher might see a ghost or a spirit, and perhaps they're just all pieces of the same diamond, they're all facets of the same, same stone, we're just looking at it from a different perspective.
0: You know what, and I, I wanted to say real quickly um, I, I don't want to finish up too, you know, I don't want to keep you too long, but I wanted to tell you that I, I'm really admirable that you're a Brad Steiger fan because I used to listen to Brad Steiger and I still listen to old shows that him and Art Bell did together, and they were amazing. Right. Those two were trying to put things together back then, and I think we have a lot better perception of what's going on with the paranormal now. But still, they had some really advanced thinking if you ever listen to a lot of those old radio shows that Brad and Art did.
1: Well, you'll get a kick out of this. This is his book, Gods of Aquarius.
0: And it wow. it's actually,
1: actually, actually signed by him.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: So that's strange. You should you know, be kind of uh, digging... Uh, Brad Steiger, that's kind of what got me into this. My dad uh, was a contractor. He built construction projects all over the, uh, the nation in, in 1970s. And as he was traveling from point A to point B, project A to project B, he was listening to a, a radio show, you know, back in the 70s, and they were interviewing Brad Steiger actually about this book. He was, you know, discussing the, the book that just came out. And my dad was intrigued and bought uh, Gods of Aquarius. And uh, brought it home when he was done with it. And so while he was away traveling, I read it, and was just absolutely amazed at what, uh, you know, Brad was talking about and hypothesizing in the book. So that was, uh, that was actually what got me interested in all of this stuff was uh, that very book by that very author.
0: What? What? I know he wrote like he wrote a, a crazy amount of books. I, I I heard him say it on the Art Bell. I think he wrote like ninety something books. Yeah. Is that right? Is that right?
1: Yeah, um, it's, it's a, a huge amount of books.
0: Um, but uh, what was that one in particular about? I'm just interested because it sounds like it has an interesting title.
1: Yeah, it's uh actually was about different phenomena happening all over the world and. You know, how people were interpreting these different phenomena, uh, and it was one of the first times that I remember, you know, somebody actually talking about, you know, like UFOs and Bigfoot and ghosts and all of this stuff being connected. Uh, and I think that he really was onto something. And he talked about thought forms, you know, that we put our own uh, psychic or psychological spin on what we're seeing. And whatever it is that's interacting with us will manifest itself into something that we can understand. Uh, And he actually goes into talking about uh, some Marian visions, you know, like people would see the Virgin Mary, and maybe that's what they want to see or they think is important for them to see. So the entity appears to them as though, you know, it's uh, the Virgin Mary or, you know, a, a cryptid creature or a Nordic from a UFO or whatever.
0: Yeah, and, and that plays into the, the best for my last question I have for you. Being being that you're a psychology major, I thought you would find this, this question interesting. Um, A lot of times on my channel, I've delved into how much consciousness plays a role in ET contact experiences, UFO sightings, and paranormal sightings. So I want to ask you, what are your thoughts on consciousness and paranormal UFO sightings? It seems like they all have, they happen together. People who seem to have a paranormal sighting, well, I also have a UFO sighting. A person who is a UFO contactee seems to have poltergeist experiences. You know, they it all that high strangeness happens to go hand in hand. So, what role do you feel like an individual's consciousness plays in this? Because there's people like me, I've never had an experience.
1: Oh, I think it's huge. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about remote viewing. You know that uh, the thing inside of your skull squishy gray thing that people call the brain. Consider this, what if the brain isn't that squishy grain thing inside of your, your, your skull? What if that is a three-dimensional representation of a four or multi-dimensional organ? You know, what if that is just the shadow of the brain into the third dimension? So take that one step further. If our brain is a multi-dimensional organ, then human beings are multi-dimensional creatures. There's a famous, uh, a famous story uh, told by Plato, the, the great philosopher, and it's called Plato's Cave. And imagine a prisoner chained up to a stone in a cave. The opening of the cave is to his back, and there's the wall of the cave in front of him. And in front of the cave, there's a road. And as people cross the front of the cave, moving across this road, their shadows are cast on the wall in front of the prisoner. Now, he can't move his head. He doesn't know what his body looks like. All he can do is see these shadows on the wall of the cave. He thinks those shadows are what people are. They're two-dimensional creatures. And he doesn't even know that he's three-dimensional because he can't see himself. So as soon as he's unlocked from his shackles and he steps away and he looks at his arms and his hands, and he's like, I'm not a shadow. I'm not two-dimensional. And then he steps outside of the cave And this multidimensional world is now before him. His perception has changed. His uh, shackles have been released. So maybe we're shackled. And there are certain people that are starting to maybe work their one arm loose. And they can now see these shadows, these two-dimensional shadows, for what they truly are. And they're the ones that are having the UFO experiences, the ghost experiences, the cryptid experiences. They're having the uh, uh, incidences of transcendence, you know. They're having the uh, religious experience that they are start, truly starting to see the multidimensional nature of what it is to be human.
0: Yeah. And, and I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't, be, I, I talk a lot about the afterlife on my show and I, I, I know you, you probably got to go cause you got a t- tornado, but I'm going to get <laughs> you just a group one question because sure. again, you're a psychology major and you have really good theories on everything. What are your thoughts on the afterlife and reincarnation? And then we'll get out of here after that. It's like.
1: Uh that that's a good question. Uh I have a, a a religious viewpoint, you know, like a lot of people do and I'm, you know, I don't wear that on my shoulder. Uh or wear that on my sleeve rather, but you know, my personal view is like I said human beings are multidimensional creatures. Mm-hmm. And when when we die or when we pass on or whatever, you know, term you want to use, is we move out of this three-dimensional existence into a multi-dimensional existence that we've always really been in. But now we're not encumbered by the chains. Okay, much like the prisoner in Plato's cave, you know, this three-dimensional body has chained us to these three dimensions. Once those chains are released, and people, can, a lot of people consider death a release, that we're actually able to step foot out of the cave and see the universe and the world for how, how it actually is. And that's what I think happens when we die is we're actually released from our shackles of this three-dimensional earthly existence, and we can see the world and the universe for what it actually is. Now, reincarnation, we talked about remote viewing. There is a, a, a quantum existence where everything that was, is, or will be exists right now in some sort of form. So is reincarnation merely a manifestation of that? I'll be honest with you. I don't have the answers, but that might be a good place to start looking
0: yeah i mean it, it you're, you're you're right definitely i and a lot of times i i i, I don't want to go too much longer i'll just tell you this so i i talked to a lady about this in one of my because i get into the afterlife and death and um reincarnation and parallel universes a lot on my show and i talked to a lady i i asked her because she did past life regressions and stuff like that yeah. and she does et abductee uh hypnotic regression therapy and i asked her i said you know sometimes i'm having these dreams and it seems like i'm living an, an exact life or i've i've lived this life over again and, and or it's like a similar it's like a parallel reality and she agreed that it could be happening that we could be living that we're not only multidimensional, but yeah we're that our parts of our consciousness could be split off in other realities and sure. and and thinking about that is so trippy but it, it's so interesting
1: um yes yeah, it's kind of like you're uh living the movie donnie darko
0: yeah i remember that yeah that's awesome well thank you so much for doing this I, I hope your your weather goes all right i know you're going through a tornado i'm glad you were able to make it through i got the whole recording so um i thought this was an excellent episode i thought we got i think um do you want to tell everybody where they can find the book and find you and everything
1: yeah, sure. The the book is called The Meadow Project, Exploration into the South's Skinwalker Ranch by Trey Hudson. Obviously, that's me. It's uh, on Amazon. Uh, probably the easiest way is to go to the Amazon search function under books and type in Trey Hudson, T-R-E-Y-H-U-D-S-O-N, and you'll see the book. Uh, it's available in both hard copy and Kindle formats. Uh, the best way to uh, find me is you can go on Facebook and look for Trey Hudson author. That's uh, my Facebook page, or you can go to the Oxford Paranormal Society public Facebook group. So that's the uh, best way to, to find me.
0: All right. Well, thank you again for doing this and uh, stay safe.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And you have a wonderful evening.
0: Nice meeting you. Thank you. Bye. Okay.